This is The Mudroom, on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson, parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers and preschoolers more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. All right, so before we get started, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Alana Robinson, and I am a parenting effectiveness coach. I help parents just like you understand why your toddler, preschooler, or kindergartner is misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or power struggles. I'm your host here on The Mudroom. I also host my free peer support Facebook group, The Parenting Posse. And if you're not a member, you should totally join. And I am also the creator of The Parentability Program. Right. So tonight, I want to set the record straight. One of the interventions that my mods and I will often recommend in the parenting posse is putting limits around space for children, particularly when it comes to sleep or independent play, often around eating as well. And there is absolutely nothing that I have ever recommended that seems to get people's backs up like this does. People act like I'm suggesting you throw your child in a dungeon, throw away the key, and slip gruel under the drawer. Drawer? Door. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be one of those nights. Okay, so we've talked about why setting firm boundaries is important before, but that was over a year ago. So let's just quickly revisit it. Boundaries make kids feel safe even when they're resisting them. (laughs) When they have firm boundaries in place that they can count on, that is a consistent certainty that they don't have to spend time or energy thinking about or testing. And we know when our children have too many demands on their energy. We know that they lose their ability to use their mental tools that enable them to behave well when that happens. Their executive functioning skills. A soft boundary one that's enforced sometimes and not others because you're not feeling it that day or you know it's inconvenient, that becomes an energy suck because they always have to test it to see if it's there or not and under what conditions. I like to use the analogy of swimming in a pool versus the ocean. Anyways, in a pool, <laughs> you have firm edges that you can not only see, but you can push against and you know that they aren't going anywhere. You can rail on them. You can fight them all you want. That pool isn't getting any bigger or smaller. You know exactly the amount of space that you have to work with, and that isn't going to change. But if you were suddenly sucked out of the pool and dropped into the ocean, you would panic, right? You wouldn't know which way was north, east, west, south. And every time you found an edge something to hold on to, you'd be scared to let it go because what if you never find it again? But then you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you have to let it go. You have to leave it because you still don't know where you are. You still don't know where the rest of your edges are. That's what it feels like when we randomly go soft on boundaries for our kids. They no longer know where they stand and that actually causes more panic. So when we enforce boundaries for children consistently, even when they push against them with lots of force, what we're ultimately doing is reducing their energy expenditure long-term and increasing their feeling of safety because even if they aren't thrilled with it, they know that they are safe 
within those set limits. So here's the thing. We remove boundaries for children as they get bigger way too fast, (laughs) way before they're ready for it. Your toddler, and I mean ready for it cognitively, not necessarily physically ready for it. Your toddler is used to sleeping in a crib, right? That is a very firm boundary. It is literally a cage. (laughs) It's the baby cage. When you move them from a crib, which has very firm boundaries that they cannot escape, even if some of them have figured out how to escape them, you're increasing their boundaries to their room, right? That's a reasonable increase, but it's still an increase. You have moved the pool walls and that can be scary. So now their pool just got bigger and they've got to explore their space again. They need to find the walls and push on them to make sure that they're firm. That may look like leaving their room, crying, yelling, having an extinction burst. Extinction bursts are generally very short-lived though. Like momentary distress isn't damaging. The AAP agrees there is no evidence that short-term stress is damaging. It's just a natural reaction to uncertainty. But when we don't enforce that limit, if you go soft on that limit, you haven't just given them a bigger pool, You drop them in the middle of the metaphorical ocean. You increase the distress exponentially because they don't have any sense of where their limits are, which means they have a much larger area to explore and test. You increase the length of the distress because testing even larger boundaries requires a lot more time and energy. Putting your child in their bed, kissing them goodnight, Closing the door and if necessary, locking it is no difference than, no difference, no different than them sleeping in a crib. It's just a slightly bigger crib. And while they may not be thrilled about it in the moment because you did just increase the pool, ultimately it reduces their energy expenditure and makes them feel safer and more secure. It's not a question of no stress versus stress. It's a question of long-term stress that has the potential to turn into toxic stress versus short-term stress. Hey, Gidi! Also, after we're done, I want everyone to head over to YouTube and search clothes before you doze. Hashtag. One of the main protests I hear from parents when I say close and lock the door to their child's bedroom is, but what about fire safety? (laughs) Okay. Well, first things first. I'm not saying to put a key deadbolt on your child's door, okay? My personal favorite method is a hook and eye. It's just like a little um, eye bolt that goes into the door jam, and there's a little hook that goes into the door and it goes It's my personal favorite because it's super easy to flick off. Anyone with a single finger and a brain cell can do it. My oldest does it. (laughs) He'll go and get like a toy sword or like a mop or something to knock it open if like I'm in the bathroom and his brother wakes up from his nap. There's no like, how do I operate this complicated child lock? You just flick it open. But there are child locks for doors with levers. There's doorknob covers. Those are basically useless though. The second your child gains any amount of wrist rotation. The door monkey, that is an awesome device. Although I'm not super thrilled with it from a fire perspective because it does keep the door cracked. Which brings me back to the close before you doze video. Watch that video 
and tell me if your child is safest in their locked room with, or with their door open. Closed doors save lives in fires. Ask any firefighter. And children get scared. In an emergency, they will often run and they will hide. And believe me, the fire department and you want to know for certain that your child is in their room with a closed door, not hiding behind the furnace in the basement. If your child hides in an emergency, the chances of them surviving it is greatly reduced. So it is genuinely safest for your child to be locked in their room at night. End of PSA. When stress is long-term, it becomes ingrained, it becomes entrenched. Short-term stress, recovering from short-term stress, experiencing it, recovering from it, experiencing it, recovering from it. That is what our parasympathetic nervous system is built to do. So all this to say, when you're consistent with your boundaries, your children test them less because they know that when you give them a limit, that limit is firm and they can trust it. They don't have to waste energy on seeing if it's a firm boundary. Historical data tells them that it is. This goes for teaching independent play too. <laughs> if you put your child in their playroom with a gate up and you go do the dishes and they protest, that doesn't mean that they feel abandoned. It just means that it's new and different and difficult. And that is okay. Little kids don't have the ability to say, this is new, difficult and different and that's causing me some uncertainty. They just aren't that introspective. So they cry. <laughs> They protest. That's why you're the parent. You can see the bigger picture. You know that independent play is important for their development. And you know that if you leave them to roam the house, they're not going to do it. They're just going to follow you around and whine, which will wear you down. And then your resolve to have them play independently will go away. And then it won't happen at all. We all know the cycle. We've all lived it. <laughs> It's okay if they protest. Get comfortable with your kids crying. You're not leaving them there for the rest of time. If they hurt themselves, you are more than capable of going in. But by waffling on a boundary that you just set, what you're unintentionally communicating to them is that they aren't safe within that boundary. That there is potential for danger there. And that's going to increase their stress. And now that extinction burst is going to be way bigger. And they aren't going to trust you next time you set a limit because you demonstrated to them last time that your limits aren't actually safe. See how that works? This fear of leaving your children out of sight is so new. Our parents didn't supervise us the way we supervise our children. Our parents did not entertain us the way we entertain our children. And the research on this topic is really clear. This is causing our children to have self weak self-regulation skills. It's causing them to have weak risk assessment skills. It's causing them mental health issues. Alone time is crucial to developing a feeling of self-efficacy. It is not only okay, but necessary that our children struggle, feel frustrated, have to do it anyways, and realize that they aren't in danger when they feel frustrated and things are hard. And that doesn't mean that you have to throw them in a room and lock the door and just walk away. Just like unsupervised outdoor play, you can work up to it. The strategies to work up to it are actually exactly the same. But generally, there is still somewhat of an extinction burst at some point. And again, that's okay. Pride and confidence that they'll 
feel when they've done it successfully. They can go play on their own or outside or in the basement will overflow into other situations too. And the bonus is that you get some uninterrupted time to wash dishes or read a book or even just sit down with a cup of hot coffee, <laughs> which means that you will be in a, ment yeah, in a better mental space during the time that you are engaged with them. Better life skills, calmer mother, more self-confidence, well-rested family. These are all things that are very important, <laughs> but they don't come from nobody ever feeling distressed. They come from our children and us having the skills to cope with discomfort. And we need to practice them frequently in order for us to get better at them. Practice makes perfect. That is my entire philosophy wrapped up in a nutshell. Practice makes perfect. Okay. <laughs> Daisy Villeneuve. Nice to see you. Would you still, this still be applicable to a toddler with autism? Yes. Again, you're not just going to shut them in a room and shut the door and throw away the key and not deal with them, right? Like, we work up to this. <laughs> we start it and I've actually, I think I already have a blog post and a podcast and a bunch of stuff on this, so I'm not going to go over it all again, but I can get you those links or somebody else can who's watching, who's familiar with what I'm talking about. But the, uh, we're going to work up to it. We're not just going to walk away and not attend to them at all. We're just going to work up to it so that they can start to feel that confidence in it and start to feel safe. We want them to feel safe. Children with autism still need to feel safe. <laughs> and they still need to know that they can be safe by themselves. Absolutely. Crystal says, consistency is so hard. Oh, the goddess of consistency is she is a bitch. I know, I know. <laughs> Believe me, I get it. I feel you, it's hard. It's worth it though. Um, Madeline, this is connected to research that parents working outside the home today spend more time with their kids than stay at home moms 40 years ago. Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure that there's a direct connection, but yeah, right? Like we spend so much time with our kids and our kids, they get used to us compensating for their weak skills. So yeah, that that makes sense to me. Um, Madeline, you're having a hard time with that keyboard tonight. It's okay. I feel you. Um, Krista. Hey, Krista. This is what I needed because my three-year-old is about to be at home with me and newborn full-time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, go. I've got, as I said, I've got a podcast and a blog, all everything's always on my podcast, my blog, and in video format. But they're on my new on my new site. I just put my new site up. Well, my designer just put my new site up on Friday. So the blog is searchable now. Yay! So um there's one on outdoor play, there's one on boundaries, there's one on oh, there's another one that I'm thinking of, but it's not coming to me right now. Um all this stuff is up there. A lot of it, as I said, is related to outdoor play, playing independently. I don't think I have really much on sleep because I let Alexis from Precious Little Sleep kind of deal with that stuff because she is genuinely the expert on it. And I'm just like her humble, her humble, humble student. Um, but yes, it, it applies to 
any time that they need to be alone. Same strategies, slightly different context. Crystal says, thank you for talking about independent outside play back in the winter. This is one of the best things that has happened to my kids. They love it. Yes. It's awesome, isn't it? It is so awesome. And I don't know if it's just me, but this summer I noticed a lot more unsupervised kids in my neighborhood. Now we live very rurally, so it is very, very safe. And we live right next to a military base. So again, very, very safe. And most people know each other because everybody works with each other. But I think I saw some more activity child-wise this summer. And that made me so excited because it's it's working. It's getting there. We're getting there. Madeline says, kids used to play independently a lot more years ago than they do now. Yes, exactly. Okay. We're, we're understanding each other. <laughs> even if our words aren't working. <laughs> yes, exactly, totally. Kids used to play a lot more independently because they had no choice and their parents had no choice other to kind of force it a little bit. That's okay. So can we all put our pitchforks down? <laughs> Next time someone says lock the door when a child is having an extinction burst in bed after transitioning from a crib? Can we all stop shaming women and mothers for daring to leave their children alone when they shed a few tears over how difficult it is to learn to be alone? Nobody's ever died from crying alone for an hour. Nobody. And the research is pretty clear. It's not damaging on any level. There isn't a single shred of evidence that short-term stress is damaging. And anyone who says otherwise is making gross generalizations on research done on rats, mice, and children being raised in understaffed third world orphanages, none of which apply to your child in your loving, supportive home where their needs are not only met, but generally exceeded. So deep breath, everybody. It's okay. It is genuinely okay to say, you need to be in this space and I'm going to keep you there with a physical boundary. It's not torture. It's not abuse. You are correct. Those things can be used in an abusive way, but putting your child to sleep and teaching them to play by themselves for an hour is not. And if you'd like some more resources on setting firm boundaries, my scripts for managing crazy making behavior are a good place to start with that. They are totally free and you can grab them at the link in the description. While you're there, you may notice, as I said, I have a brand new website up. So poke around. There is so much good stuff on there. I am super, super excited. You can actually find things now. <laughs> the old one was gasping for breath. So thank you for joining me here tonight. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with me. I love it when you guys chat with me. It makes it so much more fun. So yeah, keep sharing them. Remember to keep it respectful, but keep sharing them because I fully reserve the right to dismiss anyone who tries to cite rat research that has nothing to do with sleep. Kristen! Kristen says she always feels like there's more unsupervised play on near bases because of the small town mentality and that everyone knows everyone else. Where else do you find someone from a couple blocks away comfortable giving your kid a warning about running out in front of cars or contacting you to tell you it happened? It's true. You know what? You're right. <laughs> I think, and I think it's because generally at least one parent from each household works together, not necessarily like in the same unit, but in the grand scheme of things, everybody's connected in that sense near <laughs> military base. So you're right, because it's a lot easier to find somebody's contact information when you know that 
You can do it through work or otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. But I did see an increase this summer. I swear there was more kids around and it made me so happy. You're so very welcome, Stacy. You're so very welcome, Krista. Thank you so much for joining me this evening, everybody. I will see you next week for another Uncommon Sense Parenting Class. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom, Uncommon Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us on social. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.